0: Good afternoon, everyone. Um, My name is Jolene Price. I'm with uh, Community Legal Services um, in the Energy Unit. um, And presenting with me today are Rhea Pereira and Elizabeth Marks from PULP. Uh, I think we're going to follow a turn off our cameras when we're not presenting mode. Um, But so just as background, um, slide. Uh, who are we? Uh, PULP is a statewide uh, legal aid organization um, that represents the interests of low-income residential utility state c- consumers statewide um, and provides um, technical assistance and support to legal aid and nonprofit community groups. Um, community Legal Services is a Philadelphia-based legal aid organization that provides direct representation to low-income Philadelphia families across the wide um, range of uh, issue area um, and the energy unit specifically uh, focuses on um, access to essential utility service at affordable rates and looks at affordability policy on a local, state, national level. We also um, represent Philadelphia residential gas and water customers in uh, PGW budget proceedings at the Philadelphia Gas Commission and uh, Philadelphia Water Department rate proceedings. Today. we're going to uh, start with a focus on utility assistance programs, what, what assistance is out there that's available for um, uh, low-income customers. Uh, we'll do a, a quick refresher on strategies to avoid terminations and um, and then uh, talk about um, some resources that are available. Um, you can feel free. We'll do a Q&A at the end, but feel free to type questions in the chat as we go as So what's the status of a shutoff moratorium? Um, The most important piece of this slide is the piece at the bottom. Uh, Utility shutoffs are now allowed to proceed across the state. And uh, we have heard from utilities that they are proceeding with setting out shutoff notices and terminating customers. The um, COVID-19 moratorium is uh, pretty much over. Um, There's one small um, continuing provision we'll discuss about payment arrangements. Um, The um, Whatever you learned before about protected customers not being able to be shut off, um, that's no more. That ended on March 31st. Um, And the annual winter moratorium that um, exists every year from December 1st to March 31st also ended on March 31st. Um, Based on data from the utility, um, as of February, uh, more than 800,000 utility accounts, um, and that's, you know, households, not individual customers. Uh, I mean, it's individual customers, but those are households, not just one person, Um, are at risk of termination just um, among the regulated utilities uh, by the PUC. That doesn't include any uh, unregulated utilities. um, With... uh, $850-plus in regulated utility debt, which is a, a 44% increase um, from the previous year. Um, so we're dealing both with a termination crisis and a debt crisis. Um, in the meantime, studies have found that having utility moratoria um, did reduce COVID infection rates and mortality rates. Um, and just a note, you know, I think, the C- CDC eviction moratorium was extended to June 30th, but um, it doesn't stop eviction if the utilities are terminated. Um, and um, you know, there's a lot of, I think, I don't need to say this to most of you, but um, there's a lot of collateral consequences to utility terminations, including eviction, loss of public housing, um, uh, loss of issues with child custody, um, all sorts of um, issues that can arise. From a utility termination. Then we pass it to Liz to talk a little bit about some of the utility assistance programs.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Um, Yet, yeah, there's a lot of assistance out there, um, and it really is a matter of connecting people to the right assistance um, and making sure we can get people over the barriers to getting enrolled in the programs. There are a number of barriers, some of which we'll talk about today, but I would encourage you all, if you are experiencing issues in assisting clients, to access any of these programs. Um, some of them are new, set up very quickly, um, and so there's bound to be bumps in the road. Um, But, um, you know, we'll talk through uh, in more detail the Emergency Rental and Utility Assistance Program, or ERAP. Uh, We'll then hit on uh, the existing programs for utility assistance, caps, and hardship funds. I'll talk a little bit about, we'll talk some about LIHEAP, Uh, What we're not going to talk in detail about is the usage reduction programs, um, CARES, or of course, there's a lot of local assistance out there as well. So wanted to put it up here so you know that the programs we're going to dive more deeply into are not the end. Um, There may be some local or county assistance level funding programs available, um, local churches and things, um, and those in your community are best to know what those are. But again, if you run into issues issues with any of these or can't get connected, uh, do let us know. Um, I'm not going to touch much on the low income usage reduction program, but I do want to note before we dive into program details that those are really important programs. They're not going to help in the crisis we're in, right? So we aren't going to dive in too much, um, but for people with high energy burdens, and we know that low income people and particularly people of color have very high energy burdens across the state. Um, and low low-income usage reduction programs can help install energy efficiency, upgrade the building stock so that they're using less energy and their bills come down. It's more of a longer-term affordability type program, um, but certainly if you're working with someone with very high usage or with a system that's malfunctioning, like a you know a heating system that's broken, broken water heater, sometimes the LIAR program or some of the other energy efficiency programs can help. So just wanted to note that those exist. Um, we won't talk about them today, because our focus right now is on the immediate crisis. But let's dive in then to the uh, ERAP program. And so some of you have been, uh, you know—you were at our webinar last week. A lot of this is gonna be similar, but we are gonna take a deeper dive into ERAP. Um, So first, what are the benefits of ERAP? Um, Well, let me back up even before that and give you an idea of how much money is in this program. So uh, with the December um, allocation we got from the federal government, um, that was part of the uh, uh, appropriations bill in late December. Uh, that money that came to the state came both directly to counties about 777, almost 778 million went to large counties. There's 18 of those large counties that got a direct allocation from the federal government. The remaining amount of Pennsylvania's money from that bill went to uh, DHS um, and is allocated to each of the counties um, through a, a simple formula based on population. So all counties are administering this program at the county level. Some of them have kind of their own program set up. Others are going through kind of a a streamlined DHS administration. There is an additional $671 million coming through the American uh, Rescue Plan. That has not reached the state yet, um, but it will come. And some of the eligibility for that and the benefits are going to be a little bit different when that money is released. But for this first pot of money, uh, what we're going to talk about are all the kind of program rules that are in place now for that. Uh, So as far as benefits, um, and I'm not going to dive too deep into the rental side, but there is rental assistance available dating back to March, um, plus some additional three months um, rent if um, necessary to stabilize housing. There is also utility and home energy costs and arrears that can be paid for. um, And this is also plus an additional three months. So it's 12 months plus three months if necessary for housing stability. As far as the utilities go, it can pay for electric, gas, water and sewer, deliverable fuel, which would be your oil, propane, coal, uh, wood, um, and it can also pay for trash. Um, The utility assistance pot of money cannot be used for broadband or telecommunications services. However, guidance that was issued early on said no broadband or telecommunications. And then the the Treasury issued subsequent. Guidance that said you could use for broadband and telecommunication services. Um, so, if necessary for school, work, or telemedicine, um, you can uh, or the counties could help pay for broadband or telecommunication services uh, through the other direct or indirect expenses incurred as a result of the pandemic provision. And then there's also the counties can offer housing stability service. So essentially case management services and legal services are allowed to be funded through this program. They're not required, Um, but many of the counties have set up some housing stability services to go along with these uh, kind of assistance. So let's go then to the next slide if we can. Um, So who's eligible? going to dive real deep in in here right now. Um, Right now, it's responsibility for paying rent on a residential property. You have to be at 80% of the area median income, though there's a priority for those at at the 50% of area median income. And when you get a copy of these slides, um, that is a live link there that will take you to a sheet that will give you the AMI for every county. it's So the income is going to be based on actual gross 2020 income for the year, or they can annualize it um, based on your monthly income at the time of your application, or there's a few categorical eligibility um, standards where pe- people receiving assistance that uh, they'd have to otherwise be eligible for this program, they are categorically or may be categorically eligible for ERAP. A household for this program is all adults 18 plus that are not full-time high school students. So, you may have an older high school student uh, who's full-time, maybe 19. Um, If they're earning income, that's not going to count towards income. Um, The other eligibility requirement is that uh, as a direct or indirect result of COVID-19, one or more of the household members has to have experienced a reduction of income, which could be reduced hours, um, it could be an increased household uh, costs um, or financial hardship, again, directly or indirectly as a result of COVID 19. Um, so One piece uh, to keep in mind with utilities is that everybody who has been staying home through the pandemic has increased household costs as a result. If you are at home more, you are flushing your toilet more, you are taking, you are using your sinks more, you are running your heat longer hours. um, uh, You may be cooking at home more often. Um, Most of the clients we've talked to, and I know this to be true from myself, we are all experiencing higher increases in the amount of utility services used. That is a direct or indirect result of COVID-19. Um, At risk of, so in addition to that, um, the person has to be at risk of housing instability or homelessness. And that can mean, for our purposes here talking about utilities, a past due utility bill. Why, and we'll go back to what Jolene said, The lack of utility service to your home can destabilize your housing, uh, lead to eviction. Um, And so, you know, that loss of service or a past utility bill that may put you at risk of termination is going to be enough to to make you eligible for this. Um, uh, There's some others in here as well. Um, And we do, I see, have uh, two related questions in here that I'll just uh, answer, and uh, Susan asks for examples of categorical eligibility, and I'm sorry, off the top of my head, I can't recall, but I believe it's SNAP and TANF, Um, uh, but that is all uh, on DHS's website. I can look it up when it's not my turn to speak. Um, And then uh, in response to Deborah's question, is there a list to see which agency of each county is responsible for ERAP? The answer is yes. Um, The DHS's website, um, and I'll put it in the chat in a little bit, um, does have a link that provides a full document for the contact information of every county. So let's go to the next slide because I do have some more info on on uh, that. But first, uh, we put this uh, up. This is the if you click on the link in the the. A presentation, it'll take you to this county by county list, gives you a full breakdown of who, what income eligibility is. And it is significantly higher than what a lot of the other assistance programs are. So we're hopeful this will catch a big pot of people that would otherwise not be eligible for assistance. So, applications. Um, and this goes to Deborah's question. Um, the ERAP application is live in Compass right now. There are about 40 counties who have opted in to use this common application through the Compass app. Um, And so, uh, If you're one of those counties, you can apply right through Compass, you will need to follow up with the county to submit documentation so um, but soon uh, DHS should be releasing functionality in compass that allows you to just upload those documents when you apply, and all of that will go to the county for processing. If you're in one of the other counties that's not using the Compass app, you you can still, if you go to Compass and you start the application, you'll put in where you're located and it will automatically redirect you to contact the agency that's administering it um, in, in that county. Um, A note here about the application process. And one of the things that we're hearing a lot from the counties, um, from people who are trying to access this program, is that there's a lot of documentation required um, and that people are having a really hard time tracking down all of that uh, documentation. Um, So I want to note that in the guidance issued by DHS, um, it requires ERAP administrators to use collateral contacts to assist in obtaining documentation and verification to determine an eligibility. That's similar to the requirement for LIHEAP that the county assistance offices, when somebody can't get assistance, will do outreach to a third party to try and do that verification through the phone um, or to get them to send an email confirmation. Um, so if somebody's struggling to collect the documentation they need, um, they should be able to get assistance from the ERAP agency. Um, Another piece of ERAP that everyone should be aware of is that there is a right to appeal. Um, At intake, uh, all clients have to be informed of their right to appeal and of um, the review process. So informed of that and how to go about appealing. Appeals would go to the DHS office of hearing. um, And I, um, and so you know, this is a, a right. And as we try and uh, kind of work through any issues that are coming up in the counties, it may be necessary to uh, file an appeal and, and be sure to pursue that um, further if you, if you think that uh, client is eligible um, for ERAP. Can we go to the? Here we go. A couple of, and we called these special rules, but they're really just some quirks I wanted you all to be aware of. Um, one is emancipated minors can can qualify for ERAP. Um, two, uh, you know, if, if somebody is on the line for income eligibility, make sure you check out those uh, inclusions and exclusions, which follow the HUD guidelines. Um, so for some of the some of you you haven't worked before maybe with the HUD uh, income guidelines and they're generally similar to what LIHEAP would be, but certainly uh, worth checking out. Um, it excludes things like child income, income of live in AIDS, and temporary or non-recurring or s- sporadic income, which um, you know, wasn't clear in the guidelines, but we would read that to mean that uh, stimulus checks, for instance, which would be temporary, non-recurring, and sporadic uh, income would be excluded. uh, I note the income of live-in AIDS. and I want to note here that this is both an exclusion uh, of income for ERAP and an exclusion for income of LIHEAP. And the reason I mention it is because we actually had an appeal recently um, uh, with DHS on this, where somebody's um, an an older gentleman had his um, you know a, a relative who is living with him and making a uh, you know money um, for the home care that he was providing to his relative. That was reported as income on LIHEAP, but actually it should have been excluded income because it was his uh, kind of uh, live-in aid um, assistance. So that's a quirk to keep in mind if you're working with clients on the cusp, particularly people with live-in, um, uh, AIDS, um, self-employment. Uh, there are some specific rules for that. Just want to make sure you're aware that self-employed people can still apply for ERA. Um, and, uh, If you have a client moving from one county to another, counties may, this is a permissible piece in the the guidelines, they may choose to use funds to help with relocation from one county to another. Providers may also um, consider hotels, motels, or bo- boarding homes as long-term housing and allow them to get assistance with paying those bills. And we know that there are a lot of people currently staying in hotels and motels because they may have been evicted during the pandemic um, uh, or uh, you know, uh, for, for some reason in the last year, um, they may be eligible for assistance. This last piece, and this came up as a number of questions on our last webinar, um, and according, you know, I have asked DHS from some additional guidance on this, and we'll make sure we send out additional guidance with how. But when you read the rules of ERAP and the guidance that was sent out to the counties, it does appear as though those who are actually experiencing homelessness are eligible for ERAP to help pay if it's going to stabilize their housing. Um, and so uh, that's, you know, one piece that um, if they have to catch up with that rent, um, or, you know, to get a new place, they have to take care of their utility uh, bills from before, right before they were evicted and are now um, homeless, in order to get service in their new residence. Um, they should be eligible for that based on the guidelines that have been released by DHS. Again, we're looking into the how, right, because there's still some questions of how people would apply for that and how much they'd get. So more to come on that as this uh, program evolves.
2: Can we go to the next slide? It's, so I'm sorry, this is yeah. Kelly. Um, for the attorneys that are requesting CLE credit, I am launching the first poll. You will have two minutes to respond. Uh, please remember you have to respond to both poll questions. And Liz, please feel free to continue. Thank you.
1: Great, thanks, Kelly. Um, So I'm just gonna hit on a couple of advocacy tips um, as you're working with people trying to access ERAP. One is um, the timing of utility terminations and the timing of the ERAP uh, rollout is not great. Um, It's in fact, much less than great. And we did try to uh, very hard to maintain the protection from termination until these programs were fully up and running, Um, but Terminations have begun. Um, So one piece of advocacy, and we know at least one utility is um, delaying termination when asked if they're dealing with somebody who would be eligible for ERAP to give them time to apply. So unless you ask, uh, you're not going to get it. Um, And so contacting the utility, telling them that there is this money coming, and can you delay termination while they apply, is a great advocacy piece. Um, And sometimes it takes an advocate calling on a client's behalf, um, but certainly advising that client or consumer uh, to to ask the utility if they can delay that. a piece here to pay attention to, um, and one that is kind of unfolding as we go. And Jolene's gonna talk a lot about payment arrangements um, where there's access to additional payment arrangements to stop termination that is actually causing some barriers for people to get ERAP assistance. So we don't think that ERAP should be a barrier for, uh, or that a payment arrangement should create a barrier for assistance, Um, but it has yet to be seen whether if somebody's entered a payment arrangement to stop a termination, whether they'll be able to get ERAP assistance to pay for that debt that they've accrued. The problem being a lot of people are entering payment arrangements that they have no ability to pay. Um, They're entering them because they're desperate to keep their service, their water, their electricity, their gas onto their home and they get in a payment arrangement and then applying for ERAP, um, uh, they can't get the assistance to pay that bill down. Uh, We are trying to work with DHS to address this issue and issue some guidance um, about paying for uh, debt that has been accrued during the pandemic um, that is in a payment arrangement, Um, but you know, it'll take this whole network, all of you. I know there are folks from utilities, from uh, legal services, from social services. We are all going to Need to pay attention to this issue and and make sure it's not a barrier. Um, uh, the last piece I want to note, um, or two pieces: one, build relationships with the county administrator. If you are working with clients, if you're a utility, whoever you are in this in this piece of the pie. Reach out to that program administrator and talk to them about it, Um, uh, and you know, let them know that you're working with people you're going to be sending over to them. uh, That you know, develop that clear line of communication, Um, and then advise clients to take a photo of completed applications. This has been something we've been advising people ever since the mail became an issue. Um, but certainly, if you're going to work with the utility to try and delay termination, um, it would be helpful if you could actually provide you know, a, a, some kind of proof that that, that application has been submitted. Um, and snapping a photo of that, and making a note of the date uh, should help, especially as people flock to these programs. Um, we're expecting there to be some serious delays in processing um, of the application. And then please contact us as issues arise. Um, We've been working with uh, the policy folks at DHS, um, passing along issues as they come up um, so that DHS can issue additional guidance. So don't, you know, we may not be able to do anything, but uh, do say something if you're seeing something. Um, And with that, I think... um, I'm gonna turn it over to Rhea to talk a little bit about some other programs.
2: Um, Liz, we we do have a question. Um, Okay, If a family has been evicted and are presently living in a hotel, how long
1: will ERAP pay for hotel lodging? That is going to vary based on the county. And I'm going to get, I'm getting a little out of my, uh, I'm not a housing attorney, I'm a utility attorney. So I do want to make sure I stay in my lane. But my read of the um, program guidelines are that anybody can get, if they're eligible, up to 12 months of assistance um, and that it is up to the County to decide whether or not they'll provide assistance to those living in a hotel if the situation is long term. So, um, that's unfortunately the best advice I can give you. Um, and, you know, I think it'll take some advocacy with the local um, uh, administrator to talk about whether or not they're going to allow uh, hotel stays, long term hotel stays, to qualify for ERAP. And now I'll turn it over to Rhea.
3: Thanks, Liz. Hi, everyone. So we're gonna be talking about a few utility-specific customer programs that are available, uh, but at the outside, we wanted to give you guys the 2021 federal poverty limit guidelines to give you guys some uh, real numbers for household incomes that do vary by uh, household family size, as well as FPL limit, as we're uh, gonna be throwing a lot of kind of percentages at you in the next few slides. So the first utility specific program we're gonna be talking about, or the bucket of programs are going to be customer assistance programs, otherwise known as CAPs. So like I said, these are utility specific programs. So uh, the general benefit and eligibility guidelines uh, are going to vary by utilities, but uh, we're gonna give you some general rules here about what you're gonna generally see time and time again. So CAP programs do offer those discounted bills for CAP participants that offer uh, lower monthly payments. In addition to that, uh, CAP programs generally Generally, have some component of rearage forgiveness for that uh, pre program debt occurred prior to uh, the participants entry into CAP. Now what generally happens is that the debt is frozen and then for every on-time full payment that the CAP participant makes while they're in the CAP program they can earn debt forgiveness over time. What that period is is going to vary but uh, we generally see 12 to 36 months is uh, kind of common in that bracket. So some general eligibility uh, requirements guidelines that we do see, uh, we uh, generally see uh, the requirement of having uh, income at or below 150% FPL. There are exceptions to this. We gave uh, the example of peoples on this slide, which has a FPL maximum of 200%. So in addition to the income, Guidelines, Income requirements, there are other requirements, uh, we kind of wanted to highlight here, uh, the CAP participant does have to be a customer of the utility. Some utilities also required a, a, another payment trouble showing a payment trouble status for a participant a customer to uh, get on CAP. While uh, utilities might ask for social security numbers uh, if for a CAP participant to become a CAP participant, uh, it is not an actual requirement, which is helpful if a customer is unable or unwilling to give their social security number. So let's really quickly talk about what happens if the cap participant isn't able to keep up with the cap bills, and they do have debt accrued while in the cap program. So those cap arrears, uh, cap debt is ineligible for payment arrangements. So it's really important that if possible, uh, the cap participant continue to pay their cap bills. If they don't, they could face potential removal from cap and risk of termination. So if they do get a termination notice, uh, the kind of practice tip we give is that the uh, termination notice, the amount listed on it might be significantly higher than uh, the amount needed to uh, stay in CAP, re-enroll in CAP. It might actually include that debt, that pre-program arrears that would otherwise be eligible for redeferment through CAP. So it's important, uh, again, we're going to be emphasizing this uh, time and time again during this presentation to talk with the utilities, figure out uh, whether they're willing to accept a lesser amount uh, so the uh, client, the customer can stay in CAP and uh, potentially avoid termination as well. I think we can Thanks. So uh, the next program we're going to talk about, again, this is a utility specific program. This is hardship funds. And just like CAP programs, the specific eligibility and uh, general guidelines are going to vary by hardship fund by utility. But here are some general rules of thumb. So hardship funds are your grant assistance programs through utilities. You generally will see a grant assist am- assistance amount, excuse me, of uh, between three and $500. Some general uh, eligibility requirements uh, will be income at or below 200% FPL. Uh, so as you can tell, it's set normally just a little bit higher uh, from the cap income uh, kind of cutoff. A lot of utilities, uh, though this can vary as well, uh, do also require what we call a good faith. Fade- payment showing, which essentially means that within a certain period of months uh, prior to application for the, the grant, the hardship fund, uh, the uh, customer needs to have uh, shown a good faith. Uh, so they have to have paid a certain month amount uh, over a period of months. And what this amount is and what this period of time is can vary by the utility, but uh, a lot of them do have this good faith payment kind of showing. So uh, we always recommend, especially for customers facing termination, to uh, not only look at the individual hardship fund grant, but if the uh, amount needed to avoid termination is uh, significant, to see if it's possible to couple that grant with other sources of assistance. And this could be, you know, LIHEAP during LIHEAP season. This could be if the customer does have a little bit of money to put towards uh, their uh, account. Uh, So really seeing what the the universe of uh, resources might be that can be kind of coupled together and again with all these universal service programs uh, just contact your utility figure out what your uh, specific uh, eligibility requirements or customer specific eligibility requirements might be Rhea, so we'll-
2: I'm sorry we have uh-huh. a question we have a sure. question. Is that debt forgiveness over time of the 12 to 36 months have to be consecutive? If someone misses one month, does it start the clock back over again? And I will say there is
3: going to be some variance by utility with this again, but in general, it does not need to be consecutive. Now, again, missed cap payments will um, need kind of that catch up routine because it can put the customer in eligibility. Eligibility danger, like they could be kicked off cap, and they could be facing termination as well. Um, but uh, in general, I, I think it does not need to be consecutive. And I'll let jeline and Liz have anything else they want to add to that question as well.
1: I'll just but add next. that most of them have catch up. So if you if if they miss one, but then they make the next month and they pay two cap cap payments, you know, to make make up for the previous one, they may, in most utility service territories, get the catch-up amount, so they'll they'll get two months of forgiveness if they make two cap payments.
3: Thanks, Liz. So unless there's any more questions, I'm just going to keep trucking along to Lifeline and broadband assistance. So let's uh, first talk about Lifeline lifeline is going to provide you uh nine dollars and 25 cents a month it's going to be a subsidy for telephone broadband or bundle service it will be subject to minimum service standards now while it cannot be applied to equipment costs uh some providers do a lot of providers do offer uh phones for free for uh lifeline participants now uh the advantage of lifeline it is Portable to other providers. This can be especially useful if customers are on the move or, um, you know, there is a, a changing situation. So some uh, general eligibility requirements. Uh, the customer, the applicant, does have to have income at or below 135% FPL. Uh, there are certain other uh, categorical eligibility uh, Uh, requirement or standards, I should say. Uh, Some of that, I'm not going to read you the entire list, but they include SNAP, Medicaid, um, public housing, SSI. Now, uh, the caveat to this is there is a one subsidy per household rule with lifeline assistance. Uh, We did provide you a website for some additional information that's right at the top in orange. So, EBB program, let's talk about that next, emergency broadband benefits. Uh, this is anticipated to be available this month. Uh, $3.3 billion in federal funds has been allocated to this program. So what are the benefits? Uh, up to $50 a month in broadband subsidies, as well as $100 in device discounts. This does include a 10 to $50 uh, potential copay as well. So uh, there are some categorical eligibility requirements, um, as well as some general eligibility requirements. Uh, so uh, Lifeline qualifiers are uh, EBB eligible uh, for uh, households that have um, entry into the free or reduced lunch programs, Pell Grant recipients, uh, and those uh, applicants who have had a substantial loss in income since uh, March 2020, an income under either for a single uh, household, $99,000, uh, or uh, for a joint filer, $198,000. Or if the uh, the eligibility uh, for providers uh, with, who have the existing low-income or COVID-19 programs, so for households who are eligible for their providers' programs. So like I said, this is uh, anticipated to be available this month, and uh, it's going to be available uh, until the funds are exhausted or six months after the end of uh, the health emergency. So there is a finite duration to this benefit. And um, I'm going to pause here before handing it over to Liz to talk about Lie Heap to see if there's any questions. Otherwise, I'll hand it over to Liz.
1: I don't see any.
3: Okay, so I shall hand it over then.
1: Um, and let me. I'm going to just quickly go through Lie Heap. Um, there is a link in this presentation um, if you uh, want to. Tune in and watch our uh, LIHEAP webinar from the fall um, for a lot of details about the ins and outs and who's eligible for LIHEAP. LIHEAP was recently extended. It was scheduled to close April 9th, and it will now close April 30. So we have some time to get people in for LIHEAP as soon as possible. Um, As always, there are three primary benefits to LIHEAP. There's a cash grant, um, which people can get every year. um, As long as they have a home heating responsibility, they meet the income guidelines, and they're a Pennsylvania resident. You can get a crisis grant, uh, which is up to $800 um, to resolve an actual or imminent home heating emergency. Um, and that As long as it can be resolved by that amount of money, up to $800, uh, they may be eligible for a crisis grant. And an actual or imminent home heating emergency means um, I've got 15 days or less of deliverable fuel, or um, I have a termination notice, or for this program year only, I have a past due utility bill that could otherwise form the basis of a termination. Um, So because of the long-term moratorium, that additional past due bill rule is in place this year. Unlikely to be in place next year, uh, but we're not at next year yet. LIHEAP program rules change every year. Um, A little bit. Most of them stay the same, but some of them change. Um, Not going to, for the sake of time, dig in deep into the tenant eligibility, but just want to note to watch out for if you're working with a tenant who has a heating responsibility through rent, unless they are receiving income-based public housing assistance, they are likely eligible for LIHEAP, um, uh, and they'll get that grant directly to them. Um, I also want to note quickly that immigrant uh, mixed uh, immigration status households are eligible for LIHEAP. Um, The undocumented household members income would count for the purposes of calculating household income, but they would not count as a household member for the purposes of counting household income. The application is up there. Uh, Stay tuned on this as well. And we will have another uh, webinar sometime uh, probably in May. uh, Should we have a new LIHEAP program opening in the summer? We anticipate about 240 to 260 million additional LIHEAP dollars coming through the American Rescue Plan. Um, This is in addition to normal LIHEAP allocations. Um, It doesn't need to be spent until the end of until September 2022, which means there's some time. So some of that money may go into the next program year, but we are really hopeful in working with DHS that we will have some kind of summer emergency program established. So stay tuned. We'll, we'll You guys will hear it first from us if that happens. Um, can we go to the next slide? Just gonna touch on a couple of the other preview of additional relief coming that has to do with utilities. There's a lot of relief coming in the ARP. Uh, we are hopeful it's coming in time. Um, uh, First, the Low Income Household Water Assistance Program. This uh, has uh, about, and we don't know how much is gonna come to Pennsylvania yet, um, but we anticipate it to be a good chunk of money that will help us pay, pay down some of those um, water and wastewater bills. Uh, the states, we're waiting for guidance from HHS to tell us what our allocation is gonna be and what the program guidelines are from HHS. Once they, they release those at the federal level, the state will then need to develop a state plan. Um, And we are actively talking with DHS about what that might look like so stay tuned. And if any of you are a water provider, um, you know, we are looking to create some stakeholder meetings with DHS so reach out to us and we'll, we'll get you plugged in. Uh, I note there's additional emergency rental assistance coming. We already covered some of this, but some of the changes to this pot of additional money are that it increases the total amount of assistance available to 18 months. And it adds that financial hardship that occurs during the pandemic would qualify rather than being due to the pandemic or related directly or indirectly to the pandemic. So there'll be some flexibility with those new funds. And finally, there's the Homeowner Assistance Fund, which should get at the fact that the other, the ERAP doesn't cover homeowners. Um, this uh, allocation, we expect to come sometime soon. Um, and uh, it's not clear yet who's going to run that program. Um, what we are hearing is that it may be PHFA, um, but I don't think any decisions have been made about that program. Um, certainly, uh, we'll release information to you all as soon as we know it, and you may know it before we do. Um, but this funding will be able to pay for electric, gas, uh, uh, energy costs, water, internet, and other home uh, housing costs. So looking forward to those programs. Um, And with that, let me turn it over to, I think I'm turning it back to Rhea or am I turning it to Jolene?
2: Liz, we actually have a question quick. Okay. Um, Does anyone who qualifies for ERAP also qualify for the broadband program?
1: I don't believe that's one of the categorical eligibility. Um, uh, So to my knowledge, that's not on on the list. Um, There's gonna probably be an income differentiation for ERAP because the income's a little bit higher. But I don't have any further guidance on that. Um, I don't believe it's in the list of categorical eligibility though. I'll turn it over to Jolene.
0: Thanks, Liz. Um, So um, that was a lot about assistance. And one of the reasons it's super important right now, as we've mentioned before, is that uh, utilities are now allowed to proceed with um, termination. So I'm going to do a quick overview refresher of some of the requirements around termination and talk a little bit about um, uh, payment arrangements um, availability. So just a quick note on, for the regulated utilities, uh, utilities regulated by the Public Utility Commission, um, they do have to send out a 10-day written notice of termination prior to terminating a customer. Um, That 10-day notice is valid for up to 60 days. So uh, if it says, you know, we will shut you off April 10th or later, it's valid 50 days past April 10th. or 60 days from the date of the notice. Um, They will have to do a three day, utilities are required to do an attempt to contact the customer three days prior to to, uh, termination um, by phone, by uh, electronic methods if a customer is presented or by in-person methods. But just note that it's an attempt to contact and not an actual contact. Um, They can call and if they don't reach anyone um, that, that can count. They are also supposed to knock prior to um, shutting off service. Um, and just one note uh, no Friday terminations. So utilities can only uh, terminate Monday through Thursday. So no Friday, Saturday, or Sunday terminations. Uh, wanted to briefly touch on um, notice to tenants of uh, utility termination where there's a landlord ratepayer that bills in the landlord's name the utility first has to send a notice to the landlord or owner of the property that they're intending to terminate. Um, And then they have to send a 30-day notice to tenants prior to shutting off service. And it has to give tenants the option of paying the last 30 days of service to prevent that termination. Um, And this applies both to regulated utilities um, under the Discontinuance Service, Service Police Premises Act, and to unregulated utilities um, under USTRA or the Utility Service Tenants Rights Act. Um, so it, it applies uh, both to your bigger utilities and um, the uh, folks that, like water utilities, folks like that as well. Um, and um, next slide. So just wanted to do a, a brief overview of, of what, what do you do if you get a shutoff notice or if you're working with a client who has a shutoff notice. Uh, I think the first thing we always suggest is have them apply for available assistance. Um, While doing so, make sure the utility knows the application is pending, especially if it's not a utility run program, like for example, the ERAP program, and ask the utility to stay termination um, while the application is in process, while they're working on applying. Um, If a client is experiencing some sort of unique hardship, you know, make sure to let the utility know and see if there's any assistance or special protections that may be available. Um, the, um, uh, the next thing um, that we would recommend is, is if a security deposit was charged on the account, um, uh, ask if it can be released or waived. And, and just a note that if a household is at or below 150% of federal poverty, Um, otherwise potentially eligible for a customer assistance program with the utility, uh, they should not be able to charge a a security deposit at all for that household and to return it. Um, If assistance is insufficient, there's not enough to cover the bill, or someone's ineligible for assistance, um, uh, you know, not eligible for enrollment in an assistance program, or you know, not a tenant, so can't access ERAP, having issues with LIHEAP, it's gotten to another utility, lots of reasons that there might not be enough assistance, unfortunately. Um, then we recommend seeing if you can um, get an affordable payment arrangement from the utility or from the Public Utility Commission, um, and also recommend assessing whether special protections apply, um, whether a medical certificate uh, for a medically vulnerable household would be appropriate Get a 30-day hold on termination. Um, And then um, whether any protections for victims of domestic violence um, might might apply. Um, So that's sort of, and then if if the bill is just so large that there's no other option, um, we would recommend referring to a local legal services provider to assess other legal options like bankruptcy. So I just wanted to touch very briefly on payment arrangements. Um, What's a payment arrangement? Uh, It's an agreement to pay back uh, an amount owed um, over a period of time. Um, When you enter into a payment agreement, you are agreeing that you owe that amount. So if you have any sort of concern about whether you owe uh, an amount, like you think that the utility charged you incorrectly, you should not enter into a payment arrangement on that debt. It is a, uh, it is accepting um, liability for that debt. Um, the other thing about a payment arrangement is that uh, we generally don't recommend entering into payment arrangements that you can't afford to pay. Um, if it's just gonna lead to problems a couple months down the road when you then inevitably can't afford to pay that payment arrangements. Um, just a note that utilities do have actually a lot of discretion to enter into reasonable payment arrangements. Payment arrangements and customers can negotiate for better arrangements. Um, we generally recommend that um, customers avoid the automated payment arrangements when they call in because those are not going to be based on household income. They're just going to be an automated process based on your um, your bill. Um, and I noted at the outset um, in. Uh, Otherwise, ending all protections against shutoff for um, uh, customers due to COVID, the Utility Commission did require utilities to offer uh, additional payment arrangement terms based on household income, um, including uh, 60 months for um, customers at or below uh, 250% of federal poverty. in addition to the utilities, the Public Utility Commission can issue payment arrangements as well by statute. Um, generally, only they can only issue one payment arrangement and um, there's you're not eligible for payment arrangement if uh, the debt was accrued while in a customer assistance program. Um, I'm not gonna, there's um, payment arrangements for current customers and for reconnection um, and the details are, are slightly different for those um, I wanna note again, the um, temporary um, uh, payment arrangement terms um, at the PUC, in addition to the utilities being required to um, offer payment arrangement, the PUC can also um, issue payment arrangements um, at the same months, um, and, and it can offer an additional payment arrangement for customers uh, who previously defaulted on a PUC. Um, issued payment arrangement, which is a change. And and we're still not clear if the new rules, the PUC-issued temporary rules would allow a um, cap customer to get a payment arrangement on cap debts.
2: Jolene, this is Kelly, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just gonna launch the second of the CLE poll questions. Attorneys requesting credit, please respond to this. You'll have two minutes to do so. And Jolene, please feel free to continue. Thanks Kelly. I'm actually going to turn it over to
0: Rhea to talk a little bit about medical certificates and some other um, termination protections.
3: Thanks, Jolene. I know we're running a little short on time, so I'm just gonna give you a little bit of information about medical certificates first. So medical certificates, as uh, Jolene mentioned, uh, is a tool to uh, postpone termination. Now, the general rule is that a household may obtain a medical certificate to stop termination if a household member has a serious illness or a medical condition which requires utility service to treat the illness. Ultimately, whether or not uh, a medical certificate is issued is going to be at the discretion of the physician, uh, the physician's assistant, or the nurse practitioner. So if a medical certificate is issued and obtained, it will temporarily stop termination for 30 days. Now, uh, what uh, essentially happens is if the utility gets information uh, that the customer is in the process of obtaining a medical certificate and that they do have a serious illness or medical condition, a certifying uh, professional must provide the written certification within three days. Now, uh, if the customer is keeping up with their current charges uh, by the due date, a customer may submit a certificate every 30 days. However, if uh, the customer is unable and is not keeping up with their current charges by the due date, a customer may renew the medical certificate two times. So that's a total of 90 days of of protection. Now, a few big rules to keep uh, in mind medical certificates medical certificates don't take care of the underlying uh, debt or um, kind of help uh, get that down. It is literally a, a postponement on termination. So if uh, there are other uh, available assistance uh, for the customer, it, it might be the better route to go than submitting a medical certificate, if, especially if the customer is unable to keep up with their current charges. And I think we can go to the next slide. So just a little bit about the utility complaint process. As um, I've mentioned, and Angelina and Liz have mentioned, uh, the first uh, kind of step when there's a utility issue is uh, reach out to the utility uh, to try to resolve the issue. Uh, and this is not only helpful uh, to see what the utility is willing to do, but it's also required for the more... Uh, kind of formal complaint processes through the PUC. So uh, two kinds of uh, complaints. There's the informal complaint process, and then there's the formal complaint process. So uh, really quickly, the informal complaint uh, process is investigated by the PUC's Bureau of Consumer Services. Uh, The decision is not precedential. However, um, it it is helpful because if uh, an informal complaint is filed at least 24 hours before the termination, it will temporarily stop the termination. Now, if uh, the informal complaint is denied, then uh, the customer, um, the complainant, can file a formal complaint. During uh, that time, we do recommend that the customer uh, continue to pay undisputed um, bills, uh, especially while the informal complaint is pending. Formal complaints, it's more of a uh, uh, kind of hearing proceeding, quasi-judicial proceeding before an administrative law judge, uh, discovery tools are available. Uh, while uh, you know, non-attorneys can give uh, information about filing, attorneys are required uh, if uh, there is a representation undertaken. And then uh, there is a requirement for a formal written complaint as well for formal complaints. So we provided you some information in the website as you see on your screen for anyone interested in learning more. So here's some helpful kind of. Um phone numbers and links. Now, uh, very top of the page again, I'm just gonna emphasize utility company is generally where you're gonna start, not only to negotiate, but really find out what's going on with that customer, that um, complainant's bill. Uh, But uh, there are a number of other uh, service providers. We've listed PULP as well as CLS, Uh, there's Office of Consumer Advocate, as well as uh, the link to find local legal services programs, as well as the Bureau of Consumer Services. So I think um, a little bit over time, but we're on to our Q&A portion.
1: <laughs> and I'll I'll just say I don't see any question and answer in the chat, but um Maddie, if we could go forward, I want to show people that we have uh, in the appendix of this, the slides that you'll receive, some additional resources, um, you know, copies of, you can reach on the PUC's website, a copy of the commission's universal service or each of the utilities universal service plans um, that go through kind of details for what the program rules are for customer assistance programs, hardship funds, and the low income usage reduction program. And then uh, the last two slides, um, we have contact information on websites for all of the um, large utility uh, programs. Um, So hopefully that'll be a good resource to you all. Um, When those slides get delivered, uh, you should have all of that. Um, But of course um, you can contact PULP or CLS uh, at any time if you have questions or need help with a client. Um, and if you are working with a client who needs a little bit more assistance and some legal services, um, uh, you know local legal services programs are available. And um, we at PULP uh, operate a small emergency utility hotline as well um, for emergency uh, termination calls. So, um, Thanks for joining everyone uh, Unless oh, Do we see a, do I see a question? Uh, nope, just someone saying how wonderful it was. I'm really glad it was helpful to everyone. Enjoy the beautiful day. Um, and uh, do don't hesitate to call us if you have any questions or uh, run into problems in your counties. Take care, everyone.
2: Have a good rest of the day.